So Money Episode 624, Dr. Deepak Chopra. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome to the show, September 11th, 2017. It is a day of reflection and it is an important day for all Americans, all humans, as we reflect on all the families and all the victims of the September 11th attacks. Our guest today is probably the best guest I could think of to have on a day like this. It is the one and only Dr. Deepak Chopra. He's the founder of the Chopra Foundation and co-founder of the Chopra Center for Wellbeing. He is a world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation, a prominent figure in the New Age movement, and he's written multiple books. He's one of the best-known and wealthiest figures in alternative medicine. And how did I get this interview, right? Well, my friend Kabir emails me and asks, do I want to meet Deepak Chopra in New York City at his book launch? And of course, I immediately cleared my schedule and emailed him back, yes, capital Y, capital E, capital S. And I can't remember how many exclamation points. And then Kabir wrote to me in reply and said, do you want to interview him for your podcast while you're here? And at that point, I nearly choked on my bagel. And who is Kabir and how is he such a superpower, you might be wondering. Kabir Segal is a friend and he's a friend of the show and he is the best-selling author of Coined, The Rich Life of Money and How Its History Has Shaped Us. And he was on So Money talking about that book as well as his own money journey. And that was episode 73, if you're interested. Kabir, as it turns out, is friends with Deepak Chopra. And recently, he and Deepak and Paul Avgerinos released a new book called Home, colon, where everyone is welcome, colon, poems and songs inspired by American immigrants. It's a collection of about 34 poems, 12 songs, all inspired by a diverse group of immigrants who've made big, huge, significant contributions to this country. Yo-Yo Ma, Audrey Hepburn, Albert Einstein, Deepak Chopra, And the poems symbolize the many roads that lead to America and which we expect will continue to converge to build the highways to our future. So that is the book. And that is what has prompted this meeting between myself and Deepak. And as it turns out, hundreds of other people come to this uh, event. It was a magnificent event. Before it uh, happened, I got the chance to sit down in Deepak's office, which is that ABC carpet in New York. And uh, it was very surreal. We talked about the way you wear money and the way that you spend it and how it reflects your innermost values. We talk about the guilt that we sometimes feel around making money, how that can lead to poverty consciousness. And I'm going to roll to the interview now, but before I do, I want to apologize because this was a very last minute interview. I had all the right technology. I showed up, I had the questions, but sometimes you get really bad ambient noise and you're in New York City and his office is right overlooking Broadway. So at the nine minute mark, you're going to hear a really annoying fire siren. 
And so I just want to apologize for that. I didn't want to interrupt him as he was giving me his explanations and answers, which were so good. And you can still hear him, but it is not without this really annoying siren in the background. So I apologize. I hope you'll understand. Here is Deepak Chopra. Welcome to So Money, Deepak Chopra. This is such an honor. I'm here in your space at ABC Home in New York City, uh, a store where you normally come to shop for home furnishings. Look around, see who's been in this room. Are you serious? From Rosa Parks to Obama to uh, Bill Clinton to Dalai Lama, if you look around. So you have a very... It's a very sacred place, and outside over there where we do events uh, tonight be 200 people plus. And celebrating your new book called Home. It's a Correct. book of poetry. Tell us about this. You, it's in collaboration with a friend of mine, Kabir Segal, who yeah. uh, wrote Coined, a wonderful mm-hmm. book. And you wrote it with Paul. I won't pronounce his name. You can pronounce it for me. How does his last name? Avgerinos. Avgerinos. <laughs> so it's basically, I understand, a book about Immigrant stories. These are uh, poems inspired by immigrants who changed the face of America. Mm-hmm. Some very famous and not some not that famous. So we have um, Einstein and Khalil Gibran and Celia Cruz and many interesting people that. Uh, and Deepak Chopra. You have an interesting immigrant story. I had the privilege of meeting you earlier this summer at Chase. Yeah. You gave a great keynote about financial wellness. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance to pick your brain a little bit about money. And you had a really interesting story about coming to this country for the first time. A really um, memorable experience and also your introduction to our money culture here. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back to that time in your life and what happened? I was only 23, I'd finished medical school. I was asked to come to the United States for advanced training, which was actually an excuse to get cheap labor into community hospitals because uh, uh, you know most American doctors were in Vietnam, which was, uh, a war that was coming to an end, but still that period. You couldn't leave uh, India without more than $8, so I got $100 from an uncle of mine. 108 is a uh, mythologically auspicious number, so I, I thought I'd do something fun. I went to Paris and I spent it all in one evening at the Moulin Rouge. So when I got, as one should. As one should. So when I got to the United States, I had no money at all. And uh, I made a collect call. The hospital sent me a helicopter and picked me up from JFK. I ended up in New Jersey. And uh, I wasn't actually working right away. So I went to my dorm uh, that I was introduced to. I was watching television. And I'd never seen TV in my life. And you're how old? 23. 23. And it was in color. I was enjoying it till the program got interrupted. There'd been a shootout at a local bank. And these people were being brought to the emergency room where I was going to work. So I had my first episode of the great American... Not wasting any time. Yeah. America's (laughs) epidemic panic. And uh, anyway, I went there and I pronounced the patient, etc. Worked for 24 hours and that was uh, uh, pretty good because in 24 hours I became extremely comfortable with trauma 
stitching people up and pronouncing them dead and whatever. But then I had time off after 24 hours. I went to Main Street, uh, uh, Main Street, uh, this little town, Plainfield, New Jersey. And there was a shop there with all kinds of televisions um, in the window. So I was looking at them and the salesman came and he said, you like them, don't you? And you had no money still because no this money. is the next day. Yeah, the next day. Moulin Rouge, New Jersey, now we're shopping for television. Right. right. And he said, you want that, don't you want one of those? I said, yeah. He said, why don't you get one? I said, I don't have any money. He said, all you have to do is sign this piece of paper. <laughs> and, you know, it was a, a loan or whatever, but I had no idea. I signed the piece of paper, took it back to my dorm, but there were 20 other television sets. I worked another 24 hours, and then I went to a Volkswagen um, a Beetle um, a, you dealership. Know, dealership, and I said, can you give me that yellow piece of paper? <laughs> so I want to buy that automobile, and I actually drove out with one. So this is the great American culture where you spend money that you haven't earned to buy things that you don't need to impress people that you don't Go like, <laughs> and then everybody's stressed. Right. Well, so that was your introduction to money. How did it change from there? You must have had an epiphany or a realization that this is not not the way that you want to live your life. Um, what, what was that moment or series of moments? Did you have a consciousness about it? It was a gradual evolution where I realized, I mean, you're with the money world, so you know that of the $2.2 trillion that circulates in the world's markets, only less than 2% actually provides goods and services and a lot of those goods and services are guns and tobacco and drugs mm. so um, very little money actually provides goods and services uh, that are useful but, uh, compared to the total amount that circulates the rest is what uh, you guys call derivatives which is uh, leveraging debt Right. And uh, so it's used to make money, which is used to make money, which is used to make money. And then you have all these crises in the stock market up and down, which reflect the emotional turbulence of investors who are stressed and their identity has become money. So I decided earlier on that I would, um, you know, the way you earn money and the way you spend it, it actually reflects your innermost values. Mm -hmm. So for me, then... Um, making money through helping uh, society um, achieve a better quality of life became the goal. I read somewhere that you are not shy to admit that you like to earn money. This is something that sometimes we have a hard time admitting and, and, and saying out loud. But there should be nothing wrong with actually appreciating money. No, if you have guilt money. about money or making money, then you'll be poor for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, And then you'll also be jealous about uh, all the people who are making money and you'll be very judgmental. Mm -hmm. So if you are guilty about uh, making money, then that assures poverty consciousness. But abundance consciousness comes from the fact that you know you have access to your creativity. If you ask yourself, what's my passion? What's my purpose? How can I serve? How can I improve the quality of life? You pursue excellence, then success is a byproduct. Your book, Home, is about immigrant stories. And I think my parents are immigrants. 
they have many stories. I think it also formed who I am as their offspring. Even though I didn't go through their journey, I still experienced it through their words and through their um, their way of life and their way of living. And I do think that I am the way I am with money because of my parents, for better or for worse. I would love to, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, but what about your upbringing shaped your take on what kind of a relationship you should have with money? What influenced it's you? It's upbringing all the way, especially the upbringing that um, influenced you in the first three years of life. So if your parents were always worried about money, if they were complaining or criticizing or condemning other people for being successful, if they were playing the victim, that gets programmed into your consciousness as a result of a phenomenon that we call mirror neurons. So you have to uh, ask yourself, why do I think like this? Why do I have these limiting beliefs? Are they true? Am I 100% sure if they're true or not? Uh, what does holding on to these ideas do to me? Who would I be without these? And what's the opposite of this particular thought? And why don't I have it? If you really want to make money and feel good about it, then you have to change your consciousness. You have to have abundance consciousness. I know a lot of people whose identity is money and they have uh, lots of money, billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, but they're always thinking about money. It's a cause of concern. So in that sense, they're very poor. You define money for me. Define it for our audience. I think it's really fascinating how you put it together. Money is um, a symbol of our state of consciousness. So to open yourself to abundance, you have to be grateful for whatever you have, mm -hmm. irrespective of what you have, because there are people who don't have that. You have to learn to be quiet and still. You have to exercise and use your unique strengths and talents. You have to have meaning and purpose in your life. You have to create a network of friends and professionals that have the same ideas as you have. Because these days, uh, you know, uh, it's not just a lone effort many times. Uh, today we are seeing something that many psychologists got call emergence, when you have a lot of people with the same vision, when they bond emotionally and spiritually, when they complement their strengths, when they ask themselves the right questions, if they're open, transparent, then emergence happens. Whatever the vision was, it emerges. You said money is just something, it's a, it's a human construct. It's, it's a symbol. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the origins of money are parter. Uh, I'll give you a haircut and you can give me your chicken mm -hmm. or whatever. So, you know, till somebody decided, oh, let's use a symbol to actually um, define what's a chicken worth and what's a haircut worth or what's a shoe worth. And suddenly we had this construct called money, as we have many other constructs. You know, Wall Street is a construct, right? It's mm -hmm. just people right now hedging bets. Uh, it's a casino. <laughs> but throwing unless, darts, huh? throwing darts, throwing I'd darts. Like to say, and yeah. it reflects the state of anxiety most of mm. the time. So you see these big, huge ups and downs. And you know, the wise people like say, 
you know, the big investors like uh, what's his name, Warren Buffett, etc. They don't get uh, sucked into the melodrama. They know what business is providing service and has essential strength in spite the ups and downs of the market. And sooner or later, you know, the averages it does well if it, it's a strong company. One of the things I tell investors: look at the, look at the. You advise uh, investors. You work with investors, or no? If they ask me. If they ask. Yeah. <laughs> is look at the employee um, turnover rate in a company. You know, if your employees are turning over very fast, that means they're not faithful to you, and ultimately they're not happy. Employee engagement translates directly into customer satisfaction, which translates directly into investor satisfaction. Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24 7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60 day risk free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. You do a lot of work examining biology to explain mm-hmm. our actions and reactions and how we choose to live our lives. Is there a biological, is there a biological context for why money is so, such a source of stress for us? <laughs> no, it's your programming. It's mm-hmm. not, money is by itself not a source of anxiety. It's how you, your attitude to money and, you know, your state of poverty or abundance consciousness. If it becomes a source of stress, then it's measurable. You know, you have inflammation in your body and there are inflammatory markers that you can uh, use, cytokines and many other things that are easily measurable and they reflect your state of uh, ease or stress. So uh, I think anybody who's really concerned and always thinking about money, they should get their inflammatory markers there you go. measured. Go see your doctor. Yeah, because you know, <laughs> people spend their entire life trying to make money with all the stressful means, and then by the time they've made it, they're stressed out and they have inflammation, and now they have to spend it to get healthy again. You don't have financial. In freedom as a pillar of well-being. So I want to know where money, freedom, and financial health falls on your spectrum. There's such a thing as financial security that some people will always have if they have insurance, if um, they are provided for, uh, provided they get sick. And this is something that employees should make sure and businesses should make sure they should have retirement benefits. 
but after a certain amount of money it doesn't add to your happiness money adds about 12% to your daily happiness experience the rest is um, 40% is or 40 45% is uh, no matter how much you're making or is there a, is there you know like there's that Princeton study that said if you make 75, 75 yeah i think that's an old study now mm-hmm. so you know 70, 12% i never heard that statistic before 10 to 12% okay. yeah Uh, the remaining 80% is your attitude to life are you seeing life as a, as a problem or as an opportunity what's your set point in the brain and then the remaining is the daily choices that you make uh, things like you know people make two kinds of choices every day one is for personal pleasure like uh, shopping or sex or alcohol or entertainment those actually bring a lot of joy to a lot of people but the happiness doesn't last long mm-hmm. only for a few days the real way to happiness is um, to find meaning purpose and engage with social um, networks to make other people happy actually the one thing that uh, stands out more than anything else in terms of longevity and health and well-being is um, do you have happy friends and family and you and can't buy your friends you can't buy your yeah. relationships yeah, but you can give them attention appreciation affection mm-hmm, mm-hmm. acceptance and then you're a happy person and if you're happy you're likely to make uh, wiser choices even when it comes to making money right i ask guests on this show to finish this sentence what is one th- the one thing i spend my money on that does make my life easier or better is um causes that i believe in especially uh, those that um, validate um, what my passion is consciousness and biology mm-hmm. you had written that giving is one way to kind of manage your money in a way to, to lead to happiness yes if you give money to things that you believe in you'll be happier if you spend money on experiences rather than on things you'll be happier if you spend money on family and friends and with them having an experience whether it's going to a movie together or a picnic or Hawaii mm-hmm. you'll be happier you have something to look forward to you enjoy the experience then you have good memories if you buy a new iPhone or computer or a boat or a jet plane after 6 months it's the same right you probably hate it or yeah. just bemoaning the the fact that you have to maintain this Correct. boat and parking yeah. is expensive i want to be conscious of time are we okay yeah. okay just a few more questions then of course yeah so let's let's revisit home this new book that you've co-authored uh Would you like to share your excerpts or something well, we can really read like? one poem which mm-hmm. was inspired by Einstein it's one of my favorites here and, and uh, Einstein was an immigrant from Germany, Germany. yeah and of course you know this poem kind of reflects on both the divine and the diabolical aspects of scientific discovery mm-hmm. he he came up with the theories of relativity which opened this new age and also brought mechanized death and atom bombs to us so pros cons pros and cons yeah <laughs> space time us matter to move matter us space time to curve gravity us bodies to fall black holes demanded stars to vanish is the moon there when no one is looking does the universe have many histories 
Infinity asked universe to expand. Cosmos asked consciousness to reflect. Matter, sorry, mind asked matter to dream. Time demanded future to accelerate. Will mathematical abstractions obscure doom? Is it too late for Einstein's nightmares? Scientists asked atoms to react. President asked planes to fly. Nuclear asked bombs to explode. Waste demands morality to explain. Teleport me now to another dimension, away from this junkyard of infinity. I love that this book is coming out now. Really yes, symbolic. It's very timely. Yes. Very timely for various reasons. Um, you, I, one of the lines that really captured me, it said, um, let's see, does the universe have many histories? Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Well, that's now um, uh, a theoretical uh, possibility that, yes, depending on the questions, you know, the universe doesn't tell us what it is. It only tells us what it is depends on the questions we ask. So this is one of the basic principles of science, and it was actually uh, spoken about uh, by, by Einstein and also Niels Bohr. Depending on the measurements we make and the questions we ask, the universe retrospectively could have more than one history. There's a principle in quantum physics too, you know, when photons um, uh, come from the sun, and hit your eyes and you experience this world mysteriously, uh, those photons could have taken many pathways mm. all at the same time. It's Doesn't matter, your head wants to explode, right? Yeah, that, yeah, if you read <laughs> my father's Moore. a physicist, okay. but I didn't get any of that DNA, I don't think. <laughs> None of those genes, I wish, but uh, it is mind-boggling. Yeah, you can... Um, you can... Um, Read Alice in Wonderland, and that she that classic book mm -hmm. had, uh, in many ways, um, an inkling to uh, the deeper reality. What's next for you? What is your next? I what is your next history? I'm writing a book called Meta Human. It's the next right. phase of human evolution. Tell us about that. We're going to live longer. Should we be looking yeah, forward yeah, to but this? That's only part of it. I think mm -hmm. we're also going to have multi-sensory perception. So. VR and augmented reality and how we extend the range of our experiences, you'll be able to experience um, the world as experienced by a snake or a oh dragonfly or an insect. Like virtual or reality or, stuff? Yeah, or? this will be extension of your own. Are we ready for this? Yes, we are ready. It's okay. already there. I'm using virtual reality to give people the experience of the Buddha in 18 minutes. Well, sign me up. That would be great because yeah, I'm a busy mom out. of two. I don't have time to meditate, let alone learn <laughs> the, the history of Buddha in 18 minutes. Or no, no, the experience, the experience of, Buddha, of Buddha, the enlightenment. Even better. Enlightenment under the Bodhi tree. What's I, the price on that? How many? So you just download the program from iTunes and buy a cardboard uh, Oculus for $19, and it's called Finding Your True Self. I love it. Okay, I have to ask you this question, and forgive me if this is like an eye roll question, but I write for Oprah Magazine. I'm a big oh, fan yeah, of yeah, Oprah. Yeah, yeah. I have yet to meet the Oprah Winfrey, but when I do have the opportunity to interview somebody who's had a brush or a, not more than a brush, I mean, you have, you have basically many, many shows with Oprah, and she's a big fan of yours. 
what was that encounter like? And I know that was very much at the big, early stages of your career, helped you get out there in the mainstream. Um, I don't know, anything you want to share about that? I always say, well, what's it like to meet Oprah? Oprah's real. You know, she doesn't uh, come across as a celebrity. She talks like a real person, and she, uh, she interacts with real people. She's authentic and she gets the best out of people when she interviews them. She gets their story out. She's more interested in their story than uh, talking about herself. Mm -hmm. So that makes for a good journalist. Yeah, we love her. Uh, last but not least, I always have my guests answer this, finish this sentence, okay? Um, I'm Deepak Chopra. I'm so money because... I'm Deepak Chopra. I'm so moneyed because I pursue excellence and ignore success. Pursue excellence and ignore success. I love that. Success is for amateurs, isn't That's it? That's right. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. It's connecting the dots. Overrated. Blueprint. You can do it. Mail in. Mail it in. But but um, but it's a much harder to find fulfillment and and take it to the next level. How do we get there? Is there is there an easy shortcut? Make that your mantra. <laughs> Make it your mantra. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time and Thank congratulations you. on Thank your new you book. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to my special guest, Deepak Chopra, for joining us today. The book, again, everyone is called Home, where everyone is welcome, poems and songs inspired by American immigrants. Deepak co-authored this with Kabir Segal and Paul Abgerinos. It's on sale now. And if you'd like to learn more about Deepak Chopra, just hop over to Chopra.com. And if you missed any of this, do you want to download it, get the transcript, just hop over to somoneypodcast.com and all the goodies are there. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs>